There are few things that make people successful. Taking a step forward to change their lives is one successful trait, but it takes some time to get there. How do you move forward to greet the success that awaits you? Welcome to Next Steps Forward with host Chris Meek. Each week, Chris brings on another guest who has successfully taken the next steps forward. Now, here is Chris Meek. Welcome to this week's edition of Next Steps Forward. I'm your host, Chris Meek. As always, it's great to have you with us again. Our guest today is Tim McCarthy. He's a Quincy, Massachusetts native who now lives in Whitman with his wife. And he's the host of the podcast, 20 Tim Minutes, on which he shares his struggles with and works to, be, to break the stigma surrounding mental health. Tim McCarthy, welcome to Next Steps Forward. Thank you so much, Chris. Happy to be here. Uh, before we start, you know, you and I were just chatting. I'm not going to lie. I'm really jealous of your, your podcast booth. <laughs> you know, I chinched out. You know, I've got the green screen covering the back of my desk. So, uh, uh, yeah, I'm a little jealous. I love Appreciate it. it. Yeah, I got a bunch of knickknacks uh, and rustling figures. I got posters. I got thank you notes, stickers from other friends. It's, yeah, it's a looks like Pee Wee's Playhouse now. I was like an ESPN uh, broadcast booth. Yeah. <laughs> so for those who aren't familiar, Quincy is a classic colonial New England city. It was a manufacturing town, shipbuilding, and granite quarry 200 years ago. In the past few decades, the local economy became more about financial services, insurance, and healthcare. What was Quincy like for you when you were growing up? Quincy was great. Uh, I always say it's the greatest city. It, um, I was just like a typical, typical kid, like middle class, a uh, lot of parties. Everyone loved each other. Everyone was just like always having a good time. And like my sense of humor is like a Quincy sense of humor. Like we're all in like the same demographic and anyone outside of Quincy always knows that we're from Quincy if they're in Massachusetts. But I had a blast. Like I, we're like never stop being friends from people from Quincy. So I love it. I want to clarify for our listeners as well that, you know, I used to work for a firm based in Boston. I'm just down the road in Connecticut. And so even though it's spelled Quincy with a C, how do you say it properly, Tim? Quincy. Quincy. Exactly. Yeah. With a Z. I love and, it. And we'll call people out right away when they say it like that, like Quincy. We're like, <laughs> nope, sorry, you're in the wrong place. <laughs> so I read that in 2010, the city of Quincy was the first in the country to have its police officers carry the nasal spray Narcan to revive opioid overdoses. When the program started, the city's officers were reviving an overdose victim every four or five days and had administered Narcan over 300 times by 2014. Other cities and police departments developed their own Narcan dispensing programs based on the Quincy model. Was anyone that you know affected by the opioid epidemic? Of course. I feel like everybody from Quincy either knows somebody or knows somebody that knows somebody that has a uh, problem uh, with addiction to opioids. Um, if it's not, it usually starts from pills and pills are too expensive. So they go on to the actual heroin. But yeah, Quincy is known for that. That is a, that is a good little research you got there. Um, yeah. And I have a lot of friends on the Quincy Police Department and, and fire and EMS. And yeah, they all carried on it and they're all they're all like, it's a great thing. Like, obviously, people have their issues, but no one deserves to die. And just to be able to save lives, and there's going to be people in that mix that get help and they recover. But I love that about Quincy because everyone took it from. Like I said, Quincy's the greatest city. And then I believe, I could be wrong, I don't know the laws too well, but I believe Massachusetts has a law Well, if you call 911 for somebody overdosing, you won't be in trouble for the drugs that you have on you or you won't be charged for it. I think, I think that's the case. I wouldn't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure that's what they, uh, they changed in Massachusetts. You've said that you had mental health issues in high school, but really weren't diagnosed as such. How did your mental health issues shape your time as a teenager? 
So I always thought I had undiagnosed ADHD, which I actually do now. So I was right about something in high school. I was uh, I was a C's and D's get degrees type of kid in high school. Um, but the way it affected me was like kind of in a good way because I was like the life of the party and I used it as like an advantage. So it was good at the time, but I knew something was wrong. But I feel like in 2004, mental health wasn't a big priority for a lot of people people would just be like oh they're crazy oh yeah oh you'll get over it it was just like be a man man up like all those phrases i grew up with so you kind of just suppress it and then nah, that's not the best thing you can do we talk about you know man up and then just you know suppress it and deal with it did you seek treatment or did anyone recommend that you receive treatment during your time in school in high school no i i kind of did it in college on my own like i went to like the nurse probably that was like a trial member like not even a real nurse and they put me on prozac right away and i wasn't a huge fan i think i was just having separation anxiety from being in a different town and city in charlotte north carolina and i just wasn't good in school i felt like i was regarding college so i think even at that point people were like oh you're just going through like a phase like you're you're 20 21 it's like you're supposed to not know what you're doing with life and i i was just like sad because i didn't know what i was going to do with my life um and i was just like stuck and i was like well one day i'm gonna be 35 and not know what i'm doing but now i'm 35 doing a podcast so it's uh, i'm doing all right <laughs> now you know what you're doing yeah so what did you when you got out of school and how did your mental health issues manifest themselves in your 20s and into your 30s? So I got back to Quincy because all, all roads lead back to Quincy. And I was like working at CVS. I worked for the Boston Bruins, just like odd jobs. And I was like still partying too much. I think in your mid-20s, you do one of three things. Like you just party and don't do anything or you have your life together or you kind of mix it up a little bit. I was teetering on just the partying too much because I was like, yeah, I'll deal with this later. Oh, I'll put my student loans off. Oh, yeah, deferments. Like I don't even know what those words meant at the time. Um, so, yeah, I just knew it was growing. I wasn't happy down down deep. And I just was like, yeah, it's going to pass. It's going to pass. And it just didn't. And it just got worse and worse. And I think up until I was like 34 is when it really hit me. So I kind of just went through my 20s and just was like, eh, I'll just deal with it. So you mentioned you dealt with it. May 5th, 2019. What happened that day and why? That was a rough day for me. And I, I know we talked about it, but I dub it now Cinco de Hangout because uh, I have a very morbid uh, sense of humor. So what happened that day was I'll, I'll bring you through it because there's little details I do remember. I don't remember the actual like time frame or what I was doing before, but one of the last things I remember doing was when I was watching uh, Adam Sandler's 100% Fresh, where he does like a live show and he puts it all together. And then at the end, he gives a tribute to Chris Farley, uh, his friend that died. And it was like super sad. It was like, I was like, oh man, that's a bummer. Cause like Chris Farley is one of my like comedy legends. Like he's right up there and I loved him. And I love Adam Sandler too from the, 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 like the bad words he gets now, but he's a legend. So then I walked in my kitchen. I looked at like my dry erase board to see what date it was. And like, I still wasn't even like thinking clearly. Then I was walking by and I like waved by to my dog. Like I have a big German shepherd. His name's Charles Barkley. And he's like a 120 pound German shepherd shotgun. His bark is like the loudest in the world. Um, so I like waved to him and I went upstairs and, uh, I trained Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. I don't know if you know what that is. Uh, it's like the boring stuff in UFC when they're on the ground trying to like tap the guy out. That's what I do. So there's different levels like karate, you get a white belt, blue belt, purple belt, um, brown belt, black belt. And I was just newly crowned a blue belt back in March. 
And I wasn't even happy about that. Like I finally got it, wasn't even happy about it. I took photos, like you can, there's photos of me and my beard. I tell everybody when I had a beard, I was like in the worst state of my life. And it was a crappy looking beard too. Like it had like gray lightning bolts on the side, hated it. <laughs> uh, my mom hated it for sure. So I took that jujitsu belt and jujitsu belts are really like thick cotton because you got to like tie it really bad. And uh, my white belt was very soft, so I didn't use that one. So I stood there and I, I put the uh, jujitsu belt around my neck and just stood there. What felt for like ever, forever and ever. And I sat like, I feel like I thought of like every thought or like thing that happened in my head. You know, like when you get in like almost a car accident, you see like your life flash before your eyes. It was kind of like that. And leading up to that, when I was walking up the stairs, I felt like my like body was, I mean, my soul was like catching up to my body. Like I was like buffering, like the Wi-Fi was cutting out in my body and I was like trying to catch up with it. And I always said I felt like I was in the movie Get Out without the racism where my body was getting controlled by something, but I was like just sitting in the back, just dealing with it. So as I stood there with like my belt around my neck and just like making it like tighter and tighter, I would just sit there and cry. And then I thought of the date and it was my brother's birthday. And I was like, damn. I was like, that'd be so shitty to tell my brother, like, oh, yeah, your brother died. Like, that's what, like, happened. So, like, that was, like, in my head. And then my cat. I'm a big animal person. I got two dogs. I got two cats. And my cat, Lucille, loves me. Absolutely loves me. She, like, curls up with me, like, everything. And I'm not even, like, wasn't a huge cat guy, but I'm, like, a huge pet guy. And uh, so she rubbed up against me and, like, it woke me up. And then, like, I'm so, I don't care about myself so much. But in my head, I was like, oh, you got to eat. So I was more worried about feeding my cat because I wanted to make sure she got fed. So like, I feel like everyone I talked to that had like a suicidal moment, they always have like that random thing that happens that like kind of wakes them up. Like I've talked to like certain people and they're like, oh, my buddy called me, he was just like asking me how I'm doing. He's like, I haven't talked to my buddy in like nine years. So it's like little things like that. So I'm like super attached to my cat, Lucille. And uh, I wouldn't say she like stopped me, but she definitely helped me like wake up a little bit. And uh, yeah, and that, that was Cinco, that was almost Cinco de Hango. You know, we'll talk about your, your morbid humidity here, or humility yeah. me, uh, in, a, in a minute. But a few weeks ago, we had uh, NFL Hall of Famer Charles Haley on and uh, talked about his bipolar disorder, talked about suicide ideation. And he said, there are 99 reasons to kill yourself, but find that one reason, just that one. Was yours Lucille? Was it your brother's birthday? Was it a combination of those things? I think it was more my brother's birthday because my brother's the man. I love my brother. And it was like, and it was like Cinco de Mayo. Like how like crappy would that be? And yeah, it was definitely probably my brother because I always bring that up first because I think when I bring my cat up, people are like, you're kind of weird with the cat. And I'm like, you ain't kidding. <laughs> <laughs> They're cat ladies and I was cat guys. Yeah, just weird cat guys trying to kill themselves. <laughs> and, and maybe I guess one step further than that. So, okay, the next day is not Cinco de Mayo. It's May 6th. It's not your brother's birthday. Lucille's been fed. What made you stop it and not do it again or not try to do it again? So I was making weird, um, weird comments. I don't really remember to uh, some coworkers of mine and uh, they, they saw the red flags. And it was funny because I always made like morbid jokes. I'm like, oh, hopefully my house, like I'll be leaving work. And I'm like, all right, guys, see ya. And I'm like, hopefully my car flips over. And they'd be like, ha, 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 But like deep down, I'm like, no, I hope it really does. So I texted my wife what happened because she was out like partying or whatever. And I felt bad because um, she was doing her own thing. It's like the last thing she wants to get a text message all drunk being like, hey, uh, by the by, I just almost killed myself. So they had people like kind of like come out and search for me. But I was answering my phone. So I wasn't like I wasn't like 
getting the police after me or anything like that, getting sectioned because like I was very willing because I was like, I I'm too tired <laughs> to run away. It's always bad at hide and go seek. I'm not going to do that. So I talked to like a, like a counselor type guy and I told him my problems and stuff and they just suggest going to the doctors. So get this. I finally get to that moment where like people are like, yeah, you got to get help, get to get help. And I, and I wanted to get help. And when I went to the doctor's office, the nurse practitioner helped me out. And I feel like nurse practitioners are a lot cooler than doctors because you see them a lot more than your doctor. I don't even know what my doctor looks like. And she called probably 15 places for an hour for me to see if I can get into them. And they were all six plus month waits. There's something wrong with the mental health, like, department and she was flabbergasted like i don't even use that word and she was flabbergasted by like the attempts she had to make and she was like now i get it like now i get why people don't do it or give up or give away give up halfway through how did your wife handle you know that time you know may 5th may 5th you know the way you talk about it your lackadaisical is not the right word but you know you, you handle it with with humor which is yeah. great um but again, we mentioned you know some dark humor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, what are thoughts in terms of your friends, your family? How do they they view this? So with my dark humor, my wife is probably up there with me. We, we, <laughs> okay, we do, you shouldn't be surprised. Yeah, we do that a lot. A little like um, example of that is you might find this moment funny. Um, you know when you you know when you go to a funeral and there's someone in the casket and there's always one person that goes, ah, he looks good though. And they, someone always says that. So we say it to each other every time we go to a funeral. And then we're like, you know what? He doesn't look good because he'd look a lot better if he was alive. And so we always make that joke. We go to funerals. So that's the type of humor we have. And then back to Quincy, I feel like everyone kind of has that sense of humor. So they understand it really quick. My mom hates it, but she'll laugh. Like there's, I have two brothers and one sister and I'm the favorite, but she won't say it. Um, but I, I always make her laugh, but she's like, Oh God, forgive you. And that's, that's it, pretty much what she says after every joke I, I say to her. So for you, what was harder acknowledging that you need help or actually asking for it? Oh, that's a great question. I think asking for it, um, because I don't ever like asking for help. Like if I, it's like always just like a weird feeling to me. If like, I don't like ask for money because I wouldn't want the other way. I always think about that. Like I will help people if they need me like, Oh, hey, you have a truck. Can you help me move? I'm like, yeah, if it, if it works. But I just feel like I always bother people. And I think that's kind of like my brain, how it's always been. So I think asking for help was, was that, and it took me a while to do that. And I think just opening up to people and like getting help was more of just having support for me. And I think the support is what like motivated me for it. Cause I always knew, I always knew I was a crazy person. And uh, so that was easy. I was like, oh, that makes sense. You have ADHD. Oh, okay. You have bipolar too. Oh, okay. This all adds up finally. So funny enough is I have a tattoo I got for my bipolar. I don't know if you can see it. It's a half Parts smiley. Yeah, it's it, like yep. a, yeah. Half smiley face, half uh, uh, sad face. So my buddy, uh, Jay and Kyle, I uh, opened up to them about it, real close friends of mine. And they're like, you shouldn't be afraid of it. You should wear it. So I was like, I right. like took that to like heart and I got a tattooed, like a bipolar tattoo. And I was like, uh, yeah, I'll wear it. Like not afraid of, not afraid of it anymore. So those two friends, I always uh, commend for that. And why do things have to get to such a terrible, perilous point to make you get help? Right. Right. I agree. It's uh. That's the problem. That's like what we need to fix. And I don't know. I don't know that problem. It's 
it, it just goes to this, uh, the same analogy people get. It's like, you break your arm, you got to go to physical therapy. It's like, my arm hurts. Maybe I should go to the doctors and check it out. It's like, oh, my brain hurts. Maybe I should call out of work. And you're like, no, I'll just go to work. And I don't know why that is. That is a weird phenomenon that we all have. But I think people are just very scared to go check it out, have the conversations. I, yeah, I think it's like asking for help, being acknowledged with it, don't want to seem like you're overdramatic. I think there's like a huge, huge like tree of just reasoning why people won't do that. But your point earlier, 2004, you know, like people didn't really talk about it then. So I know one of your big things in mind as well is breaking st- the stigma down, you know, and letting know people, you know, it's okay to not be okay. Do you feel that, you know, having gone through what you've gone through, and then having gone through it, we as a, you know, a globe the last year plus with a global pandemic, you know, mental health, I call there's a mental health tsunami coming on the other side of, of the, the pandemic here. Do you think that because of the pandemic, people are going to be much more open about it? I mean, we're seeing more and more conversation. You see Aaron Rodgers come out this morning talking about it. You've seen Michael Phelps talk about it. You know, all these great superstar athletes and musicians and, and actors and actresses. And you know what? At the end of the day, they put their pants on like you and me, one leg at a time. They're human beings, and they've got their own struggles, just different but still have struggles. Do you think the pandemic will help perspective on this? I'm with you on the one pan at a time. I always say everybody poops. Um, (laughs) I agree. I totally agree that that COVID did it for this reason is because everybody was at home for the most part, getting bored, not knowing what to do, and they were just with their thoughts. And seeing other celebrities do it, it seems, quote unquote, tacky from other people like, oh, he's just doing that for this or that. I've heard that before, but it really inspires people because someone really loves Aaron Rodgers and they love what he does. And to be like, wow, I I share something with a multi-million dollar athlete, uh, like Super Bowl winner. It's like, maybe I'm not that crazy. And for someone like him to have it all and be sad about it. I didn't even know he came out with it. That's awesome, by the way. You just, you just, you broke news to me. Um, so that's great that uh, that did that. But yeah, I think people are starting to see the world for what it is and how crazy it is. And they're just like, you know what? I don't give a flying hoot anymore. I'm just going to like, that's what happened to me. I just like, I'm like, what's the worst that's going to happen now? We're getting, we're getting diseases put around, like, like islands just falling into the water. Like, like what's the worst that's going to happen when you tell somebody that you, that you think crazy thoughts and you want to drive your car off the road? They may agree with you. They may have the same thoughts. Exactly. So a few minutes ago, you noted that your nurse practitioner saw you more often and knew you better than your doctor. And you don't even know your doctor's name, the face, color of their hair, whatever. Yeah. What does that say about our healthcare system? I I always like wondered that. I was one of those guys that went to pediatrics till I was like 18 and didn't realize you had to go to like a real doctor. And I was like, why am I sitting on a car? Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? But like, yeah, the doctor like only sees me for the physical and he's just like in and out. So I'm like, what is he doing in his like other days? But nurse practitioners, they just, I feel like they have bigger hearts and they just want to, and this is nothing against doctors. There's probably a million doctors out there that love what they do. They see their patients more. But I think there's just like, the same rules don't apply for everybody. Like different hospitals and doctor's offices, I feel are like different. Like I go to one and I switch over and they, I have like two different types of like, like steps that I do at these two different doctor's offices. Um, but yeah, no, the mental health like department, like I said, I mean, like the mental health like game plan is just, there's no book for it. They're just like, yeah, we'll wing it, see what happens. You need to, you need to be, we'll lock you, we'll put a straight jacket on you, we'll do whatever. They'll just feed you pills. I was getting fed pills just randomly by my doctor. That's why I left. And he was like too smart for me. Like he would always just like talk to me like I went to school with him. And I'm like, dude, I have no idea what you're talking about. So he put me on like certain things I just didn't, didn't like. 
like I'd be happy, but my body would be stuck to my couch. And I'm like, what is this guy doing to me? So yeah. The next round of the opioid epidemic. Yeah, seriously. And that's, that's another thing um, is doctors are afraid to actually give you certain things when you do have an injury because of that, especially if you're in Quincy and you really have a problem with your elbow and they're like, well, we'll just give you extra strength Tylenol. You're like, I, okay. And you can't fight it because you got to look like that you're trying to get them for the wrong reason. So again, that's another problem. You received two diagnoses, general anxiety and ADHD, as well as manic depression, bipolar two disorder. Mm-hmm. Most people don't start a podcast after receiving a medical report like that. Why did you? That's a good question too. I don't know either. Um, you got good no, writers. Yeah, that's you guys are really good. Um, I always wanted to do a podcast. I did two podcasts before. Um, I kind of before like the big curve of podcasting. To be honest with you, I'm like I was pretty cool. No, but they were. I worked at. Um, I did a show at Emerson College. Didn't go to Emerson College. My buddy did, and we did a little radio sports show with that years ago. And then I did one with my buddy Billy Cox uh, called Bill and. Bill and Tim's bogus podcast. Um, so then I always wanted to do it, but I, I like to beat my own drum and I drive people crazy as it is. Uh, so I wanted to do one by myself, but I didn't want to be just another like uh, bald headed beard guy, straight white male, just talking into a mic about crimes. So I was like, I, I need to know what I want to do. And then I, I was like, you know what? I was like, I'll just talk about my mental health. I, I, I'm like, why not? And I was like, I just don't care anymore. Like, just go for it. So I wanted to, took me like a year to get out of self-doubt because one of the things that kind of bummed me out going into it and it was just all in my head was like competition like uh podcast being like competitive with each other because i tried doing uh stand-up comedy for a bit in boston it was very clicky and i didn't like it people were like they were just like crossing their arms and not laughing it was like they were using it as currency and they just wouldn't give it out so i was scared about that i was scared about not having a good product all this stuff and i wanted to make sure i had the right equipment which i don't think i even i have that and I wanted to make sure everything was good because I don't like doing things half-assed. So I finally started it and I was like, you know what? I'm going to dive right in, see what happens. And it's been doing really well for an early podcast. I started back in November of uh, 2020. So yeah, it took me like a full calendar year to really like want to do it. And I was just like, you know what? I'm going to do it tomorrow. And I just didn't do it tomorrow. But I would have loved to seen the day that I did it or recorded it to see like what type of like feelings I was having, especially with like having bipolar, just having those like mood swings. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do it. No, I'm not. Yeah, I'm going to do it. And then the aspect of like me getting scared of like um, giving up on it. One of the things with bipolar too that some people have is they get very manic and very invested on a project. So like my head, I was like, you know what? I'm going to build a doghouse for my dog. And then like weeks later would go by. I'm like, I don't even know how to use a screw. So it's like, why do I think those thoughts? But then I bring myself back down when I don't accomplish those things. So I was really upset for them. And I was thinking that was going to happen with the podcast. And I've been really good at it. There's been about five episodes where I was in a bad mood, still recorded, made promises to myself. My buddy Ryan was like, dude, you can't not do one episode. You got to do it. I was like, oh, it's like, fine, I'll do it. And I just did it. And um, I'm glad I did. I'm really glad I did. Stick it with it. No, I'm glad you did too. I came across an article about you in the podcast uh, a month or six weeks ago, and that's how we got connected. And so uh, uh, thrilled you're doing it. You know, a little bit off topic here, but you, you talk about, you know, bald bearded white guy do the podcast and all your, first of all, all you're missing is a guitar and you go on American Idol. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but, you know, do you feel like between your humor in high school, your, your dry humor, you know, your podcast, maybe before the podcast, but was that something that you would use as a shield to protect or defend you in terms of how you're feeling? 
Oh, 100%. 100%. I, it was funny. I would, I would love the spotlight in the dark. Like, I would be like, hello, my baby. But, like, deep inside, I'm like, ugh. I'm like, just just keep it away. I always say I wore a mask a lot of the times. Not all the times. I, I, I really like being the center of attention. I love making people laugh. I love making people laugh at my own expense. I, I was always self-deprecating with jokes. Um, and I think a lot of like a lot of them, I do this thing called like passive unaggressive where I say serious things, but in a fake tone. I'd be like, yeah, I'm pretty stupid. And then like, I think I'm stupid. But like I say it in like, a, like the whole thing where I'm like, oh, I'm going to drive home guys to have a great night. I'm going to go flip my car over. And they'd be like, oh, okay. So they get like wicked confused. I don't even know if that's the right phrase to use, but I always call it passive unaggressive. We've been talking to Tim McCarthy, creator and host of 22 Minutes. I'll be right back after a short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Things Worth Considering, featuring host Gord Riddell and Alexia Georgiousis, is a program that's all about connections. The connections we make with our families, our workplaces, friends, and others around us. It's also about connections to ourself, spirit, feelings, and stories. Let us connect with you each week to explore who we are and what we can be moving forward. We can overcome the obstacles that stand in our way. Things Worth Considering airs live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. It's time to serve, learn, change the world. Tune in each week for The Power of Young People to Change the World, hosted by NYLC CEO Amy Muirs. The program is a forum for both young people and the adults who love and support them. We make connections with others through stories of change, partnership, and new perspectives of issues facing the world today. Be sure to join us every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time or anytime on demand on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We hear, just be you, a lot these days. But who are you? What is an authentic life? The answer to these questions and more will be answered on The Authentic Living Show, hosted by Andrea Matthews. Andrea will interview some of today's spiritual, psychological experts and will provide her own wisdom to help you raise your consciousness to the level of your I am. Listen for Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Heard live every Wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. The White House Doctor Makes House Calls. Listen every week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. Dr. Connie has served as the White House physician under three U.S. presidents. Now she joins the Voice America Empowerment Channel to help you enrich yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Our guests will include professionals from a variety of fields who will bring you tips that you can apply to your own life. Listen for House Calls with Dr. Connie every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Next Steps Forward. To reach Chris Meek or his guest on the show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. 
888-346-9141 or send an email to chris at nextstepsforward.com. Now, back to this week's show. We're back with Tim McCarthy. We've been talking about the use of humor to reduce the stigma of mental health and reach a younger audience. So, Tim, do you run into people who feel that you're minimizing the issue of mental health by not taking it seriously enough? Oh, yeah. <laughs> not all the time, but I definitely run into them. I always say, can I swear on this or no? Absolutely. Oh, okay, perfect. I would have, I would have not censored myself as much. <laughs> I always say, uh, just because a guy does a mental health podcast doesn't mean I can't start some shit. Um, I don't like when people look at it as weak, like I'm mentally weak, um, sometimes not mentally weak, but I'm mentally ill. So it doesn't mean I'm weak. Don't take my kindness for weakness. So if someone comes at, after me, I'm coming right back. I always say I'm the, the Tom Petty of podcasting cause I'm very petty, <laughs> but what, yeah, one guy came out to me, it was like a bit, he took something out of context where he thought one of my photo stills was making fun of somebody with a disability. And I was like, what are you talking about? And I was going back and forth with him. And he was like upset I spelled bipolar wrong. I put a dash between the bi and the polar. But it was just one of those things because, again, I barely made it through high school. I can't spell. On my show, I tell people I'm not smart. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm learning as I go. And we just went back and forth. And he just like – he. It was like a contest of like who had the worst mental health, which I think is another huge problem that people use it for as like a um, – like one of those things where like, yeah, I'm quirky. Like I got bipolar and OCD. I count tiles on the wall. Granted, he probably was really uh, what he said he did. But yeah, we, we were battling for a little bit, but I won't back down. See, Tom Petty won't back down. <laughs> Great that was awesome. Again. <laughs> that was awesome. Not like even planned that either. No. So we talked earlier about the stigma connected to mental health. How do you feel humor reduces the stigma? I think with humor, it, it definitely helps to bring people in because for me, I always, people always say that like, don't, like whatever you think or say, probably a million other people think the same thing. They're like, there's no stupid, no, there's no stupid questions, only stupid people. Is that what they say? <laughs> Someone so like, not quite. Yeah, yeah, I don't think that's it. So in high school, I'd be like, I'll, I'll try. Like I would always do it because I, I, I didn't mind making myself a fool and I like making people laugh. I think with the seriousness and like the professional podcast of um, mental health, it's, it's kind of hard to get into. So I'm like, well, I can relate to it, but you're just giving like the general like um, details behind it. And it's like, it might not affect everybody, but it's great to learn. Like I try to learn about it and it's very interesting, but from just like a regular guy and just talking about it, people always say your episodes sound like you're just hanging out with a friend the way I talk. So like that, like my mind was like, how do I do that every time? Cause I didn't know I was doing it. So I think people like to joke, people like to hear jokes. So they're like, oh, okay. Like, like he's not taking it as serious but he does have a problem so so like that is good to talk about it in a way so it definitely leads people in like if you're going to come into a to a dark show like at least you can laugh about it instead of cry about it like i've had episodes where i cried and may, maybe made someone cry but man eh, whatever you know and we talked earlier as well about the pandemic and how that's really bringing mental health to the forefront and one of the more common stories you see in the news are children and teens and what they've had to endure over the last 12 15 18 months um, isolation, things canceled, graduations, proms, all that stuff. Do you feel that you can reach a younger audience using your humor? Because they seem to need it the most right now. I would hope so. I feel like I'm in that weird age where I try to keep up with all the trends. I've made jokes to younger kids. And I, I make I make them laugh, but I feel like sometimes I'm showing my age. And I'm in that weird age bracket where I'm like, I am old, but I'm not. Um, I would... I, 
I love making people laugh. And yeah, I feel bad for a lot of them. I was always thinking about that. Like I'm, I think of like a D1 athlete going into a senior year, getting ready. And it's just like, nope, sorry, you can't do it. I'm like, I would be out of my mind. If I couldn't go to prom like at 18, I would be devastated. So I can understand that. But I always say on the other end of it, it's like the whole like they use it as like a quirk. So like something like TikTok, I always see things. I had to delete that app. That app is like garbage. So like people would be on, it's like, I have ADD. And they'd be like dancing about it. And I'm like, what is going on? So I think they're the ones that need to be shaped quicker than somebody else because they're getting misinformation from somebody that has a million followers on, on social media and they're comparing it to them. I have bipolar too, and the next guy might have it, but we take different meds. We have different lives. We have different therapies, like everything. So that's like, I think that's the biggest problem that needs to be curbed. But yeah, I think I could, I could, I could get some people in some young, some young whippersnappers. Well, one of those young whippersnappers that comes to mind is Kara Parrish, former MTV reality star. How'd you connect with her? And what has come from that connection? She is a saint, by the way. She messaged me on Twitter randomly. Like I was making a comment because I had a couple guests on, and I, sometimes I get positive if I'm if I'm happy. I'm like, oh, like I got the best guest coming on, just to hype people up. You know how it is. You gotta like be like, yeah, come on. some love. Yeah. So she was like, oh, who are you looking to get? And I was like, wouldn't you like to know? Had no idea who she was. No idea. So I messaged <laughs> her. I messaged her on uh, like Twitter. So I was like, oh, hey, thank you, blah, blah, blah. So we went back and forth. And she was like, oh, I got all these people for you if you want them, blah, blah. I was like, yeah. So I was like, so what's the catch? She's like, no, nothing. I just like to help people. I was like, but what's the catch? And she was like a fan of it. She shares it all the time. I had her on for an interview. She was so sweet. We're like legit friends now. We've texted. She says she's sending me cookies. I haven't gotten them yet. And it just reminded me I have to message her about that. <laughs> but she was like so cool, so down to earth, very, very open with me. But yeah, she like retweets my stuff and she's just like a good, she's a good character to have on, uh, especially from her little show she had. I, I remember vaguely watching it. And she was a, a big personality on that. So I commend Kara Parrish. And I'll send this to her to make sure she watches it because who doesn't like to hear good things about themselves? So, and to that point, you know, when you started the podcast, did you ever think that an MTV reality star would pick you up and send you cookies and introduce you to other folks? No, I, I, I thought I was going to have to interview my mom every week. <laughs> like, I thought that was going to be it. Like, oh, what type of traumas that happened to me when I was younger? No, not at all. And the, like, the networking alone has been like so impactful on my life because I, I've been connecting like two of my guests together. I keep in touch with like a couple of them. Like, it's just really fun in that aspect. And to get to talk to them and then they'd be like, have so much fun with my episodes. They're like, wow, like I've heard so many nice things at the end. They're like, oh, you're so original. Like I've never had so much fun on a podcast. Like X, Y, Z would be great for your show. Do you mind if I give them your stuff? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, let's do it. Um, but no, I would have never thought. I didn't know how well it'd be doing right now. Have you had mom on at all? She, so I have somebody do an intro every episode. I have do, It's like SNL. I felt like that was the greatest idea to have because like that person will share it. Because again, people love to hear their voice. I understand that. So my mom was like episode like four or five and uh, she did a very long introduction. And every time I listen to it, I cry. So I can't listen to it anymore. She said like the nicest stuff. But yeah, she listens all the time. She has all my merch. She's like my number one or two fan. So awesome. I love it. So in addition to mom, You've had a broad range of guests on your podcast discussing a wide variety of issues beyond mental health. Talk about some of your favorite guests and what it was about them and their stories that really clicked with you. Obviously, Kara Parrish. 
Wink, um, wink. Yeah. And then, um, so one of the first people I interviewed was Cody IO, Cody Rain. His story is remarkable and he is a, a character. So he is a liver failure survivor, which is, I've never even heard that before. And it really happened. So he's a real person. He calls himself, uh, so he kind of looks like a combination of Vin Diesel and Pauly Shaw. So people call him Vin <laughs> Weasel. And I was like losing it. And he was like an hour conversation. We had such a good time. He's like very Californian. So like that one, a lot of people like, and that one has like my most views on YouTube because he's such a character. He's like big on TikTok too. And he was like super nice. Um, and then Joe Barksdale, former NFL player, we become really good friends. Um, he didn't like playing NFL. He was just a big guy. And he was like, I guess I have to play football. And then he, he was suicidal at one point and had like a, had like a moment out like hiking and he got lost hiking. He was like, he's like, I don't want to do this. I ain't doing football. So now he does stand up comedy. He does like a music album. He had like a star Wars theme album. That was actually really good. Not just saying that I like star Wars. Um, yeah, he was really fun. And I, all of them I've had a really good time with. I, I, I preference with everybody beforehand. I, I have like a little meet and greet to see if it works. And I'm not big league in anybody by any means, but like if it doesn't work, I'm going to be like, I don't think it's going to work. I, I feel like it doesn't fit my, my, my show. If I'm going to have like a doctor on that, like doesn't laugh, I'm not going to be like, yeah, let's get you on. See what happens. Who haven't you had on your podcast yet that you really want? And what is it about them or their stories that appeal to you? Oh, that's a good one. That's a really good one. I would say, I think I always say this, and I feel like it's an obvious pick is Kevin Love. He was like the first one to really start it. And uh, he's definitely a white whale for, for the podcast. It's on my list too. I agree. Yeah, he's uh, he's going to be a hot commodity. I've, like, I've messaged just like random like NFL players that were like the third line, and they won't even message me back. So I can only imagine how tough he is. But yeah, he would be a great one. Just because he's, I think he started it really. Like not started, but he was like the punch in the mouth that everyone needed. And it was like the Players' Tribune that he, he that mm-hmm. really did it, right? Yep. So I commend him for that. And then... I'm such like a wrestling fan. I was I, I got like wrestling belts. I got wrestling action figures up here. There's a wrestler. He, he, his name's Tommy End. He was formerly Alistair Black in the WWE. He's very vocal about mental health. But if you see a photo of him, you would have no idea. He's like Norwegian or from the Netherlands, I forget. And he's tattooed like from the neck down, just like a mythical looking dude. He's like a like just looks like a Viking that will kill you. So I think it would be interesting to talk to someone like that that looks wicked tough on the on the exterior. And plus, I'm just a huge wrestling fan. I saw you did um, Lacey Evans. Lacey Evans. I, I watched that one. She's a... She's one of my favorite. Uh, that was very early on in the show as well. Like yeah. Maybe the third or fourth one. And she was one of my favorite guests. And she literally left it all in the ring that day. You know, I had no idea what to expect, how to react. And to your point, you know, salute to her. And she really opened up about things I don't think people really knew much about. Yeah, vet, beautiful, and will kick you right in the mouth if she had to. <laughs> Amen. Even if she didn't have to, she would. Yeah. <laughs> so anything can be a two-edged sword, but do you feel that social media has been mostly positive or negative on balance in terms of affecting mental health, especially the mental health of younger people who obviously tend to be on social media much more than, I won't say older people, but guys like you and me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny. I think it goes app to app. I think if you could put it in a list of like worst to best of uh, like YouTube comments used to be the absolute cesspool of the internet. I feel like they got a little bit better. I think Instagram can get really nasty. Twitter's actually kind of positive because you can like kind of pick what you want and easily get like good followers for it because that's where I make all of my podcast connections and friends. So I think that's the best one. But yeah. 
That's a good question too. I would say it's getting positive, but it's still in the red. I think you have to work for it. And the people that are in the negative, I think like the negative. I was very like that. Like I was very like super morbid at one point when I was super depressed. I was on Reddit under the subreddit called watch people die. Like that's what I was watching. Like as a like human being like that, I was like 33 years old because I was like, I have to see this because if it happened in front of me, I can deal with it. But that logic is insane. Cause like not many people see people die every day. Um, unless you work for like a medical examiner's office, but it's uh, it was just like that type of stuff. So you, you, you got to direct them in the right way. Like on Instagram, I unfollowed like world star hip hop, like all these like fight videos. Like, I don't need to see this. Like, let me see koala biz. Let me see like soldiers coming home, like just motivational stuff. And it's, it's yeah. So I think with the kids, they just got to be directed in that way, some way or another, but it's up to them ultimately. Like parents, everyone's like, oh, the parents, blah. It's like, well, they're humans too. So you got to like help yeah. them. Like don't tell them, like show them. That's all I've had the last 15 months for any sort of engagement or activity. So, you know, there've been a lot of studies, I think, as we know that in terms of what uh, social media has done or hasn't done for, for teens and youth during this. And so the jury's still out, um, but we'll see. Yeah. And going back to what you said a few minutes ago, <clears throat> excuse me, about reaching out to folks via messenger, uh, you and I do the exact same thing. I'll find an article about somebody and, you know, I hit um, Darius Leonard from the, the Indianapolis Colts and Jim Irsay, the owner, because the Colts are doing a program called uh, Kicking the Stigma. Yeah. So huge mental health campaigns. I've been trying to get them. Uh, there's a Peloton instructor, Kendall Tool. There have been several articles on her about how she's using the Peloton, um, the program she does, the exercise programs to have people talk about mental health. And so I think you and I are on the same page of trying to show we can use social media and, and maybe get it, you know, a whale every now and then. Uh, so stay tuned. I guess the jury's still out on that. Yeah, that's actually a, so one of my recent interviews, Tony Grebmeyer, who's a saint, that guy, he texts me too. Like I make friends with all these people. So it's awesome. He said the greatest thing to me. I couldn't imagine. He was like, how do you get in contact with them? He's like, I, I'll find like their email or message them on Instagram. He's like, send them a video message instead. I'm like, I'm like, yeah. So he told me, he asked me the same question of who I wanted on. I don't want to say it because I don't want to jinx it. So I messaged that person. He's a stand-up comedian. I sent him a voice message. Probably 10 minutes later, he replied and we were chatting about it. And he said, text me next month. And this is the month. So I'm going to do it soon. And he's like, and I'll get back to you. And I was like, that is like the best thing. Because you get a message, you're like, ah, delete. And it's like, oh, this guy's sending me a video. Like, what could this be? Like, you're more interested in seeing what, what this person's going to send than a, than a message. So maybe stop, stop doing that too. So I think Kevin Love's DMs are pretty big right now with my videos. I would say, I would imagine, <laughs> I would imagine. So how did your rock, paper, scissors segment come about? And do you get the feeling that your guests are somehow cheating or taking advantage of a lag in the video connection? That is, uh, that is another great question. So funny enough with the rock, paper, scissors thing, I... I always have these quick things in my head, you know, like, like, I don't know if you think of this, this is what I do. It's always like, what could happen in this situation? So like, say you're in line at like CVS and there's a guy in front of you. I'm always, like, I'll look at my wife and be like, what if I just tickled this guy right now? Like, what would happen? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, what would Punch? happen? <laughs> yeah. So my first interview was with NFL uh, safety, Doug Middleton of the Jacksonville Jaguars. And we were getting ready for like the pre-show or whatever. And I was like, all right, man, you want to play rock, paper, scissors? And, I, and without any like hesitation, he just like lifted his hands up and was ready to go. So in my head, I was like, when in doubt, wear them out. Because when I'm anxiety ridden, I like just think of like, this would be so funnier later. And so I did it with him. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to start a league now. And he beat me. So I started off the league 0-1, but it just became a thing. And I feel like it's like a great icebreaker with someone you don't know. So when I talked with them, I've had like 
Erin Marie Hogan, who's like a horror horror actress, like Cara Parrish, uh, like these NFL players. And then I asked them and they just, no one questions it because everyone knows the game and it's just so funny. And, they, and like when they beat me, they like get into it. And I think it's just so funny. That's awesome. Yeah. So in addition to rock, paper, scissors, you take questions from your audience. What are the most common questions and concerns you're receiving? Like how I deal with things. I think they asked me that to see if, they're not as crazy or they are uh like i've had ones like how do you deal with the death it's like how do you deal with someone with like bipolar um borderline personality disorder like someone wanted me to do a topic on postpartum depression so i went and sought that out um which was which was one of my first interviews as well and that one was a really tough one uh again i'm a male shouldn't be talking about a woman's body don't have kids and it was just like a very open conversation that was just really refreshing, I think. And people are like, I can't believe you tried tackling that. I was like, yeah, whatever. I'm like, like I get to ask my questions. And there's been interviews where I got to do that and get out of my comfort zone. And and someone was like, uh, you asked the most adorable questions because I'm so like innocent with my questioning. You asked her, is there a prepartum depression? <laughs> and, like it's one of those things that like someone out there must have thought that. And it, it was just funny. And she laughed about it. And she was like, nah. And that, well, she, I think she said, like, kind of, like, you get ready for it and you get, like, you, you psych yourself out, but not, like, technically. And then I talked to Doug Middleton about the African-American community, uh, mental health. Like, again, I'm a Caucasian male. And then I talked to uh, a poet, a disabled, non-binary, queer poet from England. Like, they're taking the word queer back. I got to ask about that. I got to learn about non-binary because I never really got to ask anybody but about, like, the... Um, gender roles and all that stuff. So it was a very refreshing um, conversation and they respected it. They loved the con- they loved it. They were like, I'm so glad that you wanted to do this because not many people want to do it. People are too afraid. And I'm like, what's the worst that can happen? Like the cancel culture might come for me, but I'm not that big yet. So we'll see. And uh, I just don't like disrespecting anybody. And I, and I, I treat everybody equal. And I just, I just want to know those questions that I've had. <laughs> well, unlike the guy who took up the grocery store, you're via a zoom call now. So they can't, you know, punching the chops if yeah, they, they don't like exactly, the question. Exactly. You know, but Tim, I would say that you're a perfect example of a trend that I call the, the democratization of mental health. More common people like you and I stepping up and talking their own mental health issues and bringing mental health out of the shadows. What do you think the difference has been in the past few years to make that happen? I don't know. I kind of feel like I like sticking up for people. Like I'm not a big guy, Like, but I like being able to be like, I'm just... I just don't care anymore. Like I'm, I would be on the front lines if we had a battle mental health as a physical being. Like if this was like the Avengers and we had to like square up with a bunch of mental health things, I'd be on the front line bombing down. They just swing it. If I'm going to go down, I'm going down swinging. I, like I'll help anybody with it. If you want to come like the messages I've got from people that said I've helped them. They've, they've, uh, agreed how they felt about it. I, I, I've heard personally from people that sought out help because I told them that I went and got help and I was like the best feeling in the world. And I think, I think we just want to do good. I think, I don't know about you. I just negativity, like, I don't want to deal with this anymore. And I know you're a father. You're like, like you should be positive. Like you, you're a role model for your kids. And I just think that's, that's what we have to do. And it's like not obligated, but it's like, you feel like you have to in a way. Um, but you can sleep at night about it. Kind of. I don't sleep that well. <laughs> Can't imagine why. Yeah. <laughs> I talk to many people with mental health issues who rely heavily on their faith to help them forward. What role, if any, does faith play for you? Like religiously? Yeah. Or any sort okay. of faith. 
Um, I don't really have any. I grew up Catholic. Um, that was fine. I was cool with it. But I, I'm not religious per se, but if something did happen where like Jesus resurrected or I'd be like, oh, that makes sense. But I just, I, I don't put a lot of faith into anything. If someone wants to pray for me, I'm not gonna be like, no, no, thank you. Like I'll take a, I'll take a prayer. Those things are free. Like I'm very positive. Again, if like, I'll be friends with anybody. If you're not an asshole, I'll be friends with you. Like, that's my big thing. If, if you have different views of me, but we can have a conversation without one of us getting loud, I'm fine with that. Like, that's all I need. But I would not say uh, I'm the most religious person. But I'm not against it. I'm not like, boo, like, you're crazy. Like, I'm not like that either. Like, if you got to invite me to a church wedding, I'll go. I'll, I'll kneel. I'll pray. I'll do the whole Father, Son, Holy Spirit, have the body of Christ. I'll do it all. So I noticed that some episodes of 2010 Minutes can run as long as an hour and a half, and others are as short as 36 minutes. How do you decide the structure of your podcast, or is it even really a structure? I'm not even, I'm not even structured in life. <laughs> like, <laughs> so my normal episodes that are released on Tuesdays are like 20, 25 minutes, hence the 20, 10 minutes. So now it's like a running gag since I've done interviews because people come on like, oh, so what's this like 20 minutes? I'm like, I don't know, we'll see. So I think we're just the conversation wise, the longer it is, it's, it's just like, it's getting fun. Not that like a half hour one is, is like lesser than them. It's just like, they have more to talk about. They bring it up because it's kind of like free range. Like do, do what you want. Or they'll say something that clicks in my head. I'm like, Oh, I have to ask more about this. Like I had, um, this woman who owns a, a mental health studio, like a fitness studio, like one of the first ones ever. And she was involved in a plane crash, Olivia Bowser. So I was like, hold on. I'm like, we have to talk about this. And then at one point she's like, yeah, I think that's probably why my mental health issues. I'm like, you think? I'm like, do you think? So like, she was really fun, but hers is only like 45 minutes, but it, it was a great interview and it's coming out next week. You like to ask some of your guests three things that they're grateful for. Now it's my turn. Tell us three things that you're grateful for. Oh, wow. I would so. All right. I think, uh, I don't know. Let's see. I feel like family, friends, and life in general is easy, but I think I'm going to go with my cat, Lucille, with, uh, with my other animals. I have, uh, I have a German Shepherd, like I said. I have a Persian cat named Leo, and then I have a blind pit bull uh, named Fanny. Um, so I'm very grateful for them. I'm grateful for my therapist. I've been through a lot of different therapy, um, a lot of ones I didn't link up with that well. It didn't work out, and that's going to happen. It's a long road, and you just got to power through. You got to eat a Mario star and just blast through it. You got to. That's the only thing I can tell you. And then I would say my wife, Lindsay, uh, who's dealt with a lot, and it's not easy. It's not easy at all for that. And people forget about that, people with mental health issues. And it's no fault of their own. I forgot. But there's someone else on the other side being like, I want to help, and I can't. Can't not. I don't know what to do. And she said something like, I, I just don't know how his brain works. And it wasn't like a dig. Like she came to therapy with me. She's like, I try to think like him, but I can't um, because my thought process is insane. You say like a certain word and I'll like bring up a song. You're like, oh, can you push that door? I'm like, ah, push it. And they're like, shut up. Like we're at a funeral. I'm like, my bad, my bad. But he looks um, good. Yeah, yeah. So that, that those would be my three. But again, I, like friends, family, life, like those are obvious, the obvious ones, but I like to go a little bit outside the box if you couldn't tell. So now for the fun questions. Oh, nice. That's, they've all been fun. Before, Wait, yeah, I was going to say, I've been really fun. blast. <laughs> What's next for you? Any plans for a book, podcast tour, motivational speaking? First off, I can barely read. 
And I can say the words in the sentences, but I was never a good reader. I don't even know the last book I read. It was probably a Cliff Notes book. Um, I don't, I think being a motivational speaker would be cool. I just, I don't know how you even go about that. Like I would go to like a high school or something and like talk to like high schoolers or whatever, just being like this, but like, I, like I'm sweating now. I don't know how it'd be in person. I think one of my main goals is to have like a live show somewhere, um, and have like people come for a fundraiser. One of my first t-shirt sales I did, I did one, one run of them. It was like a limited edition t-shirt that I wanted people to have and like get in on it. So I said I was gonna donate a portion to the Plymouth County Suicide Prevention Coalition, one of the longest names in the world. And um, I got to donate $300 from my t-shirt sales. So I kind of broke even on just buying the t-shirts, which was, I'd rather take the advertising this early on. So they were very grateful for that. Um, which was really cool. And they like invited me to like their members meeting now. And I'm just like some dude. I'm like, yeah, I'm, like podcaster. Want a t-shirt? Um, yeah, exactly. You want some stickers? I got you. And I think that would be like one of the main goals would be like, do like a really good live show and people like pay, but it'd be like for like donations and, and stuff. Just like a big party, have like people doing stand up, having shows and like, like an interview with somebody, just stuff like that. But dream big, you know, you gotta, you gotta keep keep going up that ladder. Absolutely. So please share with our audience again how to find your podcast and get in touch with you. Yeah, you can get in touch with me. I got to get my same name across every social media, which was great. Because I don't think there's a 20 Tom minutes anywhere, but I am 20 Tim minutes. It's only one M. So it's a numerical two zero followed by T-I-M-I-N-U-T-E-S. You can do that with a dot com. You can do that with an at symbol on Twitter, backslash on Facebook. I think I'm on TikTok, but I deleted it so you won't see any videos. Um, but yeah, I'm, you'll find me. I'm a social media whore and you can message me. I have like a, I have an app. I, I keep forgetting to promote my app. I have an iOS and Android app that you can go and download. I don't have any reason to have an app, but my buddy from Appetizers LLC, who's a great friend of mine, created an app for me and it's awesomely ridiculous. So go download that. It's free 99. Uh, it's free, but yeah, you got to go get it. It's not going to lie. I'm a little jealous about that. Super funny. Hey, I'll get you a contact with them. Networking, networking, baby. That's awesome. <laughs> All right, Tim, one last thing. Rock, paper, oh, scissors. Go. Shoot. Oh, rock. I got a scissor. Tim wins. <laughs> that means you don't have to do another show with me. Oh, I would have thrown up pencils. I would have taken anything. Tim McCarthy, thanks so much for being with us today. I had a lot of fun. I really appreciate you sharing with us. No, I thank you for asking me out. When I got that email from you, I was like showing people right away. I'm like, oh man, I'm going to go on this show. <laughs> no, it was a real pleasure and a thrill to have you on. So thanks for sharing. Thank you, sir. And thank you, our audience, for tuning in to Next Steps Forward. I'm Chris Meek. For more details about upcoming shows and guests, please follow me on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Chris Meek Public Figure and on Twitter at Chris Meek underscore USA. And I have the same luck you did, Tim, with the same handles. We'll be back next Tuesday, same time, same place. We have a leader from the world of business, politics, sports, or entertainment. Until then, stay safe and keep taking your next steps forward. Thanks for tuning in to Next Steps Forward. Be sure to join Chris Meek for another great show next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, make things happen in your life.